2: All right, Carl, I know you're excited about our guests this week as we get you ready for the Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. By the way, Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, testing positive for COVID-19. So that's like the new trend in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Coaches testing positive for it. Um, They got a really cool podcast out there talking a lot about the New York Giants, Big Blue Banter and Dan Schneider. And Nick Filato join us here on... Believe in giants. Guys, welcome to the show. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you for having us on, Bob and
3: Carl. And I do want to say one thing. I have waxed poetic in the past a little bit about Carl. I won't take too much time doing this, Bob, but you know what? You've been there for some of the greatest moments in my family's history. I'm going to be honest. So if I didn't say shout out to Bob Papa for some of those calls, and man, the inflection in your voice when one of the giants breaks down the sideline 50, 40, 30, 20, we haven't heard it enough this year, but, or in recent years even, but man, it gets you going. So thank you for
2: Yeah, great to have you guys on. Uh, You know what the crazy part is, that point that you just brought up about explosive plays? I got my little uh, game note sheet ready for Sunday already. So I keep track of plays of 30 yards or more passing plays. Here's the crazy part about this Giants season. They have 13 pass plays of 30 or more yards and five touchdowns this year. They only had 14 with three touchdowns all of last year. But it's somehow it seems, Carl, as if this team is by far less explosive than they were last year, even though they have had their handful of splash plays through their first 14 games.
4: Yeah, it is uh, kind of stale. It's it's kind of like you can just see when the offense just boxed down and it seems like every one of those explosive plays comes like after Drano is in the... Uh, drain and you'll see a big big explosion and then all of a sudden it clogs back up again so um but Dan and and Nick it's a pleasure to have you guys uh Dan is one of my favorite follows on Twitter he's steeped in analytics but he's steeped in reality more so than uh a lot of the just go by the numbers people so I think this is going to be a really cool uh conversation um where I want to go first, guys, Bob and I ended our podcast um, earlier this week talking about, and actually last week too, uh, talking about, you know, we, we pretty much have, there's nothing unknown about this team and, and how they uh, are performing this year, but to look forward and to look at the roster, um, see where the holes are, I'm not going to ask you at this moment to evaluate the quarterback, uh, but just from a roster building standpoint and the capital that the Giants have in the draft, can you talk a little? Both of you guys, talk a little bit about uh, how you see the Giants' roster constructed and um, where you know where are some of the foundation players? Where are some of the guys that can that may be maybe starters? today that could still end up being good rotational players on this roster you know
3: they're set up in a way that is by design, people may not want to believe it, but if you listen to Joe Judge a few weeks ago when the Giants played the Dolphins, he said, it's no coincidence that both of our rosters on the defensive side of the ball are built the same way, back to front. Some people don't believe in that. I am a believer in building out the secondary before the defensive line for an multitude of reasons. For starters, it's a lot harder to find those edge guys. I know the Giants were lucky with them for a, strong, for a strong period of time there, and they had the guys there that led to those Super Bowls, but those guys aren't easy to find. And what they've done by building back to front is built out a competent defense and i know some people are a little frustrated when they play the Tom Brady's of the world, but the Giants defense has been really pretty good this season and it's far from their problem. So they're built out in the secondary. They have foundational pieces, whether that be James Bradbury, whether that be a Jackson or my favorite, Xavier McKinney, who I think is only going to get better. They have the pieces there and Logan Ryan as well, among many others. I mean, even last week, you saw a guy like Jaron Williams play really, really well in a spot start there. So they know what they're doing in the secondary. They're teaching it well and they're developing it well. So they're set up there. They obviously also have Andrew Thomas, who's been a revelation this season. Thomas has played unbelievable football for the Giants, and he looks nothing like the player who struggled in his first eight games as a rookie. And it takes time for these offensive linemen, which leads me to the draft, Carl, because every Giants fan is well aware now. Ten years ago, you asked Giants fans, and some people would say, you know what, I wanted Brandon Marshall that 2017 offseason. I didn't want Andrew Whitworth. Nowadays, that's not the case. Everyone knows it's time. We want the offensive line. And so they're probably going to try to build out the offensive line with these early round picks. And it makes sense. There are some prospects in mind that me and Nick are starting to look at. But you have to understand offensive line is a position that takes time to develop. We've been spoiled by the Tristan Wirfs and even the Andrew Thomas's. And, you know, this year, the Rashawn Slater's to the world. It doesn't always happen like that. Rookies don't always come in. So if I'm the Giants, I'm also going to be looking hard at free agency and the trade market to try to find quality offensive linemen. It's the first thing that needs to happen. they need to find more quality guys on this offensive line. If Andrew, We'll see the rest of the season, but Matt Parrott is going to have his audition, we hope. He played you know, almost 50% of the snaps last week. That's a big one for them. We were hoping me and Nick to see Ben Bredesen. That was a big one for us. We really wanted to see down the stretch if he can develop. And last week and the week before we're starting to see a little bit better from Billy price, especially in the run game. So maybe they found a piece there, but really this roster strength in my mind, and I'll get your take on this Nick to see if you differ is front to back on the defensive side of the ball. They need second level guys. We all know that they've needed. They haven't drafted a first round linebacker since you Carl. So they need some help there, but on the flip side of the ball, I still think they have talent on the skills and they have their left tackle in place, so that's a good place to be.
1: Firstly, Carl, Bob, thank you so much for having us on the podcast, and I have to agree with everything that Dan said. Secondary is in place, and I even you didn't mention the name of Aaron Robinson, who I think is somebody who's kind of really coming along, shows the man and zone skills, does not get beaten nearly as much as you would expect from a rookie who missed all of training camp in the early parts of the season. He's kind of stepped in and assumed a pretty solid role there on the back end for the New York Giants and even the front end of the defense with Dexter Lawrence Leonard Williams is going to be here for an extended period of time after receiving that contract you have some really good players up there Blake Martinez comes back and is healthy he's another I would say high quality type of linebacker you might not want to add another type of linebacker next to him I like Tate Crowder but maybe more as a third type of linebacker in that situation you saw Jalen Smith come in and play third or 17 snaps last week and he looked pretty solid but Way too early to tell there. But again, if you had to focus on one position, it has to be the offensive line. That's what Dave Gettleman said. The focus would be on it didn't necessarily work. You're hoping Nick Gates can return healthy. You're hoping Shane Lemieux can return healthy and provide some sort of, I would say, a, uh, reprieve at this point because the guard position has been an issue with Matt Scurra and Will Hernandez has not lived up to the expectations we all hoped he would. So I would say in terms of the offensive line, that needs to be a focus. You have two first round picks. You have a lot of solid uh, first round potential linemen in this draft. So this draft season could be incredibly interesting, everyone.
4: So there are a couple of things you said, uh, the philosophy back to front, right? Um, that has been Patrick Graham's mantra. But he is he is now probably uh, 50-50, if not – no, I would say 60-40 now because last game against Dallas, he admitted, you know, what a difference a pass rush makes, the ability to, to, to rush the passer. So, yeah, I mean, in a passing league, you got to be able to um, – get a lot of defensive backs and get some good ones that can do different things. But the other thing that you said uh which is I think in part uh a question of of why this team is where it is, you mentioned development. So if you look at this roster and this is the autopsy that Joe Judge will have to conduct, right? In terms of players on the field and what positions are playing well and what positions are not. And I look at the middle of the defense, the linebacker position, right? Um, You've got to examine how those guys are being uh, developed. You look at the offense as a whole, and and Bob and I spoke about this. Um, The offensive line has not quite developed. Now, it takes some time, right? but uh, Will Hernandez has played a multitude of snaps, over a 1,000 snaps, I'd say, close to almost 2,500 snaps, you would say, in his three years, Bob?
2: Well, a lot of snaps, yeah. I mean, he's been pretty much a four-time
4: starter. Right, so when you have the struggles, like injuries are one thing, but when you have a player who can do some things, um, when he's pulling and blocking at angles, but he hasn't developed. He has not even seen the most uh, popular stunt in all of football since I played <laughs> in Tackle Twist, right? He couldn't pick it up if he got a um, a warning, you know, that it was coming. It's, and that, that you have to look at as Joe Judge uh, because you got more rookies coming in. Matt Pert. Who, like you said, I I thought, you know, aside from the offside penalties, when the Cowboys were in quarterback hunt mode, it was hunting season on the quarterback. They were all hunting for sacks. He had Tank Lawrence and he did a decent job, you know, not allowing him the pressure and keeping off quarterback. But why did it take so long? Now, some of this is player driven. They have a responsibility, too. But from a coaching standpoint, the autopsy has to be, do I have the right guys coaching uh, my offense, my defense, my my positions? And the reason I raise this is because there's a lot of college coaches on this roster. Not necessarily a bad thing when you're trying to connect with the young roster and kids that – you know, the oldest guy outside of Shep um, is probably three or four years removed from college, and, and Bradbury and free agent guys, right? So that's not a bad thing. But, and I was just told this the other night by an NFL exec, sometimes the college coaches, if they're young college coaches, they don't know how to develop players because they're all are done if they're young is work in a system that is seven on seven aau and it's all about the systems and not about um developing players so that autopsy has to happen but you can tell where the players are being developed on this roster in the back end of the giants defense is especially given all of the transition that they've had back there Uh, they have You know, plug and play, plug and play, and guys seem to be stepping up. So that means there's a great deal of coaching and development in those areas. You mentioned Tay Crowder for his skill set. And even, and this is something that Jalen Smith is going to have to learn too. You're not the biggest linebacker, but you got speed. And in Jalen Smith's case, he's a linebacker with a quick. Trigger He can get from point A to B really fast, right? But he guesses a lot. And I'm talking about um, Smith now. He's out of position a lot, which causes them to get blocked. Tay Crowder just, he kind of runs around. He's out of position a lot too. If you're developing that linebacker to read the simple things, to use that speed and size to his advantage, because if you can get to a hole before the double team comes off and you're at the line of scrimmage, you're probably going to make a tackle for loss, but if you're going to sit back, watch a double team kind of passively go up there and then you get stuck behind a Leonard Williams or a Dexter Lawrence and both of you are getting plowed off to football. It, it it does nothing. Or if you're going to run behind the block when you're supposed to be outside of a block, because you didn't see the play the right way or your development doesn't tell you um, how you should read something and, and, and see I don't even know if this conversation was ever had in linebacker one hundred and one, right? Especially if you're a stack linebacker inside, but all linebackers, but the guys that are inside that has to see uh, left and right. The number one thing you say to a uh, a linebacker is how many backs are in the backfield, right? Now, aside from the RPO teams, you ask the question, how many guys can get the ball? One, right? So that guy will take you to the flow of the play. And uh, I see so often guys jumping around and guessing. I'm like, it's one back. One guy can get the ball. You just follow him. And then, you know, you get game plans. So you know what blocking schemes are. You know what, what the plays they like to run. But to see these guys out of position so much, and that's what I love so much about Blake Martinez, right? Not the biggest guy. He's a high-volume tackler, and he's not a a jump-on-the-pile guy either. He makes the bulk of his tackles during the course of a game within two yards of the line of scrimmage, three yards of the line of scrimmage because he understands blocking schemes. He understands the fact that if there's one back, there's one guy that can get the ball. And if he's not getting it, you already know what the other plays that you have to be ready for. Or I look at... The zone defense that the Giants play. And this is universal across the league with a lot of teams and linebackers. You're in a zone. Quarterback does something. You drop outside and the tight end or the number two receiver just comes right inside and sits right in the hole. And you have no idea the ball was thrown. And thank God we don't have Drew Brees in this league uh, in his prime. Cause he ate a zone defense up. If you left a window open, he'd throw it in there. But just even in past uh, zone concepts, watching how the linebackers operate tells me there's more development needed. Now, I, like I said, I'm not gonna indict uh, anybody that's coaching these kids because may, they may not know, right? They if they're young college coaches. They may not know so those are those are things when you when you talk about development uh what areas of strength are on a football team, all you have to do is look at the best playing groups as an aggregate and you'll know what what parts of your team are being developed best. And that is something uh, during Joe judge's autopsy you know you can always blame talent right? One part of this football team we know can take whatever's given to them, put a plan together, and make sure those guys know what they're doing. Uh, Julian Love has been the most reliable um, thing they've had in their toolbox. He's like, he's, I call him Swiss Army knife, but he's that, um, what's that thermos that you could just throw around, Bob, and it just always never broke. It was always reliable. He's mm-hmm. that guy. Like he, you could take, you could take uh, Julian Love camping and he's everything you need, right? If you're in the wilderness, he's the guy. Like he's, he can figure it out because um, everything they've asked him to do within his ability, he's done it. Well, like there, there may be some times where he's outmatched, but he's not going to make very, very many mistakes. He's going to stay in the, the right leverage on plays. He does all of those things. So, development for the Giants, regardless of what their talent is, you've got to see more from some positions.
3: And I do want to give a shout out to one other coach on this roster, because I feel like Coach spent, Coach Spencer has done an excellent job developing those edges. I know some Giants fans are going to say, well, what do you mean? We don't get pressure. Well, you got to look at the players who are at the edge position and look at the last season. The Giants had so many different faces move in and out of that edge position. They had to go down at one point to putting uh, David Mayo on the edge. That's how, de- that's how desperate they got. And this year he's done an even better job. He takes Quincy Roche, a player who me and Nick both liked in the draft. We thought might interest the giants fit the giant system. The Steelers ultimately got him. They tried to sneak him through the practice squad. Great job by Dave Gettleman. And you know, and, and those who listen to the big blue banter probably don't hear that a lot from me, but great job by Dave Gettleman to snatch up Quincy Roche. And now he looks like a player already. He's developing him. He's developing. Developing yeah. Ojolari as well, pretty fast, mm-hmm. and so. That's another position. I think you do. A, you did a great point uh, job there, Carl, of, of kind of communicating the point that's really important to fans, how much of a factor the coaching and development has. We talked three years ago, Carl, and I remember this. This stood out to me during the James Betcher days. We talked about the tackling, how it was such an issue and how such a fundamental thing made such a difference on a Giants defense that was so much worse than it is right now. And now this defense tackled, me and Nick last offseason, we're talking about, think of last season, how many broken plays did the Giants defense gave up? We thought of Terry McC- Lauren one, and the Cooper Cup one from last season. And this year, it's a similar picture. They don't give up broken plays. The tackling hasn't been as great as it was last season, but I think if you're looking for positives on this Giants roster, outside of just development of something like the back end and these edge guys by Coach Chaos, it is the tackling. It is the fundamentals, and I think that has improved in the Joe Judge era.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've only only given up three runs this year of 20 or more yards. I mean, and one of them was week one, uh, the 75 yarder. But for the most part, they've been pretty good. Go ahead, Nick.
1: I was just going to say you have to give a shout-out to Jerome Henderson as Carl was articulating over there with Julian Love and then Dan mentioned earlier with Jerron Williams. And you would, we hope we would see that from the offensive line. I know there's been a lot of rotating bodies in and out of there, but with Rob Sale coming in, you hoped because of all the – Chaos that happened on the offensive line last year when they brought in Dave DiGuglielmo and everything with Colombo. That was a whole mess. We haven't necessarily seen that. And now you hear rumors that Sale may not be with the Giants next year and he may be moving on to Florida. I don't know how true any of those things are, but if that's the case, that's going to lead to more turmoil along the offensive line and more, I guess you could say, less continuity, which could be an issue if that rumor ends up being true.
2: Oh, yeah, unless they upgrade from within, unless yeah. unless they promote from within, and
1: Wilkerson, is, yeah, well, which, is,
2: which is a possibility, and you, as long as you know, if they keep Pat Flaherty there as the consultant, I think uh, you don't have you won't have to worry about a new voice coming in.
4: Well, I, I'm not opposed to a new voice um, if it if that is what is um, diagnosed during this autopsy, because. If you got a a coach that's going to move on, now is the best time to bring another voice in there because this offensive line has been no great shakes. So what consistency are you looking to keep when at best they've been inconsistent, right? Um, So maybe it's time when you think about, okay, we have an offense that's at the bottom of every offensive category in the nfl for the last two years running something has to change there right a new voice has to be injected into the thought process of how this offense should operate in today's nfl uh especially given the and they haven't all been on the field together but there's always been one or two or three and you can't figure out how to get the mismatches that everyone else does, right? I look at um, the New Orleans game, and their quarterback's in trouble. Mark Ingram has blitz pickup. He leaks out, gets his body in the right position, not drifting. Quarterback sees him right there in his line of sight, gets a first down for him, right? But it's It's the little things like if your back has blitz pickup and he has to make himself self-available as a check down, why does it look so hard? Right? Why is he drifting sometimes? Is there a, um, is there a, a fundamental teaching or philosophical teaching that doesn't emphasize these things? Here's where you have, if you're going to be a check down, don't let the quarterback have to find you. Here's his sight line. If you release through the middle of the field, you should release and be right where the center is. If your quarterback is out of the pocket, you should be tight in to numbers or to, uh, has to tight in to numbers, depending on where you are, so that that quarterback, you're always relative to where he is. And when I see when, a, when I see a play break down The scramble rules, the check down rules, all of those things just don't seem to be as crisp. You look at even with Tyler Heineke, right? The offense is extremely simple. They run the ball. They know where they want to go down the field. But if they're not there, Heineke turns to his left or turns to his right. And the back is sitting exactly where he's supposed to be. Not drifting, catches the ball, moves the chains, right? there is not that level of precision in this giant's offense. And like, I mean, we can, you know, from, from a fan perspective, I don't think they see, they just see brokenness, right? For me, I kind of understand. And I analyze how things work and how they're supposed to just based on how I've learned football over the years. Right. And, and, just simple things like I watch a game and Mark Ingram gets a check down and I look exactly where he released quarterbacks in the pocket. He's standing right where the center is about four yards from the line of scrimmage releases, turns around perfect position quarterback can see him quarterbacks not looking for somebody just to toss the ball to. Oh, And you know, guys got to make a miraculous catch just to get tackled. Right. And that's what also happens. So part of, what you got to look at going forward is how they're being developed to your point. You know, you see Xavier McKinney was almost a plug and play, right? You can see right away. He knew how to play the game. Bob and I were talking about uh, McKinney when we were in Cleveland and I told Bob, I said, he looks like he belongs in pro football, just all of his movements, everything he did on the field was with purpose uh, with the knowledge of of where he he should be. Um, well, Carl,
2: I want I want to I want to go back to something that you said though, <clears throat> and maybe you guys agree or disagree with it. The one thing I would say about the old line with a new voice, they've had they've had two new voices, right? I mean, they had Columbo last year. He got moved out. Gooch came in. He had worked with Judge in New England. We know Gouge from his time with the Giants. Then they moved on. I mean, some of it, some of it has to be a talent level. I mean, yes. because that's I what mean, I was gonna
3: Yeah. I mean, you can even look at just the individuals, right? Like Andrew Thomas has developed at such a different level than somebody like Will Hernandez. So at sure. what point do you say, well, maybe it's the talent and it's well, the
2: actual player? Yeah, I mean Hernandez, yeah, how many he's been in how many different systems now? And this a was like system that
3: best fits his skill set, power and gap. But it's not with Hernandez, what it really looks like is a guy who just didn't translate. He played at a very different level of football. We never, we never, you know, nobody remembers this. And I know he looks so good at the senior Bowl. to everybody's like, how could he be a miss? Right. He's playing against the best of the best of the senior bowl. Well, he played at UTEP and he didn't make the jump to the next level. Some of the things you bring up, Carl, that befuddle me and Nick. When we watch the film week after week and we see him not being able to p- pick up a TA stunt, we're like, how is it you're four? And he's not picking up a stunt. Like these this is not this is something you wouldn't expect from the, the player like that. Uh, who's picked 34th overall in year one. So I think what Bob said is right. At some point, it also has to be just the the actual players developing. We heard with Matt Parrott, you know, when your offensive line come, come, coach comes out and says what he says about Matt Parrott, you know, where's the dog in him, right, in practice? Mm-hmm. And that's something me and Nick see, and we can get your take on this. And Nick, you could probably expand on this. What do you see from Parrott uh, as far as that in the games on film?
1: Yeah, for me, when I watch Matt Parrott, I mean, I just feel like he's a little bit passive with his punch. You don't see that dog. And Rob Sale ended up kind of calling him out for that. And it's something that kind of comes up quite a bit. He kind of just reaches out and initiates contact. He doesn't really dictate the snap as well as you might want. Like you see Andrew Thomas punch, man. There's power behind that. There's some oomph behind it. You don't necessarily see that all that well with Matt Parrott. And then you hear his coach kind of say something like that. And it's kind of an indictment on him. I'm glad that he's getting on the field, though, because this is still a second-year guy Who was drafted out of UConn? So hopefully you would expect him to develop from a technical standpoint a little bit more. I don't really know if you can teach dog. And Carl, you probably have a little bit more knowledge on something like that than I do.
4: Okay, so I had my issues with Matt Pert because he's allowed and was—I don't want to say comfortable, but just from where I sit, he was comfortable watching Nate Solder struggle. Nate Solder would be happy to be a backup in a utility guy. You know, if he's got to play 15, 20, 25 plays a game, he'll be fine. But Matt Pert is sitting there with an opportunity, a kid from University of Yukon, um, to really make something of himself because from a skill standpoint, I think he has those those things. But here's here's where we have to examine and, and I'm glad I saw what I saw in Dallas because I think the switch flipped a little bit. But then there there's three elements of this. It's the coaching in practice, right? It's the player in practice and then the confidence in the game. Now we'll all agree that offensive line development curve is a little steep for some, unless they're truly, truly gifted. So what I what I see Past the coaching is a player who lacked confidence uh, because in the game, if he's not confident punching, then you see the apprehension, right? Which tells me he's not confident in practice. And it also means that he's not willing to fail in practice trying so that he could get it, have the confidence to try it in the game. So um, I don't know if it's lack of dog. I haven't talked to him. I haven't talked football with him. But what I do know is up until last week, he lacked initiative. And I think he lacked confidence. And um, that's on him. But, again, when we go back to coaching, and, Bob, you guys agree that talent has something to do with it, right? I've sat in meetings with Coach Parcells, and he'll listen to all of these things that you guys are saying, and he'll say, who are our guys? Who are, who, who are the guys we're putting out there? And he will say to his coaches, don't tell me about the pain. Show me the baby. Figure it out. Like, get them into something they can do. Um, and that's why I say, if there's going to be a new vision for this offense, then that new vision, whoever that person is, should say, "This is how I want my guys blocking, and this is what you need to do. I'll go look at every guy, tell me he's gonna get a scouting report. um from even from what he sees, then he's gonna he's gonna find out from joe judge and 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 some of the personnel people. well, here's what he does well. these are his practice habits. This is what we're gonna need to get this guy going. See, every week that should be a discussion anyway. What do we need to do to get this guy going? What is it? What is it about him? And, and a coach will say to a position coach, just like um, um, O'Shane Zimenez, why the hell is all of a sudden he can't touch the field, right? That question has to be asked. Now, Patrick Graham might say he's, Field and the other three guys are showing more initiative, and if he's a guy you count on, which fortunately for Patrick Graham, he doesn't have to count on him. He's a he's a a, a bonus, but for this offensive line, these are guys you got to count on every week. And you gotta say I'm tired of seeing the same. I think result. something what you mentioned there, Carl, the is,
3: is a you know gets, so, gets the, the core th- of why some Giants fans are pretty frustrated because when Joe Judge got here, he said, "Look, this is first of all, we know this is a matchup based league." And when Joe Judge got here, he said, "We're going to put our players in the best position to succeed based on their talent," and it, he made it feel to fans like this is going to be, like you said, an offense. You were talking about before. When you watch the Saints, it's crisp. Everything's in place. Even when you watch the Washington football team. Well, Scott Turner is a very underrated coordinator, one of the better in the league. And so things are crisp on that offense. But with the giants like you said it never seems like things are in the right place and it doesn't seem like we're getting matchups like the one game i felt like the Giants did an excellent job on the offensive side of the ball of taking advantage of a matchup was against dallas this year with Kadarius tony when he was the entire game plan on offense and that was great because dallas couldn't stop him but you know you look at like two weeks ago for example which i think it was two weeks ago or three weeks games ago now these games are blurring together but it was honestly the best game of evan ingram's career and why because they finally started to utilize him up the seam, start mm-hmm. to utilize his speed on and on break on routes that are breaking toward the sideline. Some ways that Pat Shermer, I'm sorry, yeah, that Pat Shermer used to use him. Mm-hmm. And we just never saw the last two seasons. And so you ask yourself, why are we not using these players in matchups and in the position, you know, to give them the best chance to succeed? And that's a question I think a lot of fans are asking.
4: So again, it goes back to when you examine the areas of your football team that are having success and those that look underdeveloped or unproductive, then you've got to ask those questions. And this is, this is something, uh, as part of Joe Judge's um, CEO tenure, he's got to challenge coaches, right? But also, Joe's got to be able to take information as well. And he's got to be, and I don't know that Uh, He doesn't push back on certain things, but maybe he has to be more insistent on things because the buck stops and starts with the head coach. And every head coach gives their coordinators autonomy to design a plan. Now, Joe has input because if you ask Joe anything about what they're doing and Bob and I, yeah, Bob and I, um have after we do our show with him, we have another 30 or 45 minutes with him just talking football. And that's how I I know that he's the right coach for this team because he doesn't talk and coach speak. Like you can ask him about any play, any position, and he could tell you everything. how it's everything,
2: right? That's that's why I, I kind of laugh. I mean People react so much off his post-game press conferences, and, you know, he's giving you this boilerplate stuff. Um, And, you know, obviously, with the way the season's gone, you know, it's pissed off fans. You know, like, guys are working hard. You know, we're seeing progress, and it's like, wait a second. We just scored six points again? Like, but when, when Carl and I spend time with him, and if you watch our TV show, the Joe Judge Report, I mean, that thing gets edited down. Right. The length that he can go through... On every play, and he ain't winging it. Listen, I've been around coaches over the years that if you put that up, they are not—they're giving you the boilerplate coach talk on describing a play. But the detail that he goes into, as far as every single player on the field, whether it's a special teams play, a defensive player, an offensive play, Carl—he mm-hmm. knows it. Like he's that deep into it that he knows what is going on with every play
1: what's going on everyone football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find giants tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k-p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find nfl tickets tick pick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge aren't those terrible which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com.
4: right now that said Joe judge owes it to himself to make sure that his knowledge base is trans transferred to his assistant coaches and demand that they apply what they talk about and I say that for one thing the the biggest pain in the ass for me in watching the Giants are there procedural and time management issues, right? Yep. I know that Joe Judge is uh, very thorough when it comes to that stuff in theory. Um, And I know they practice, he, he, he knows every situation, they practice every situation. But the simplest thing as appointing an offensive and a defensive sideline police, where they demand that groups that see, and here's the thing also players that are in substitution rotations, they've got to follow the game all the way down the field and they should be ready to go in just based on situations that they practice and and information they've gotten in meetings. So if it's third and X, we have four different options here. I need this group of players. Mm -hmm. There should be a sideline policeman. That's what I call him because, you know, there's coaches that scream for position. Like, I need a third down group. I need, da, da, da. We're going four wide. And those guys, if that coach looks, those guys should be standing right there. Right. But the fact that they get uh, delay a game, penalty, delay a game before the ball is even snapped. Right. Um, that's, I think lack of execution on game day. You know, you ask players to execute on game day. You've got to expect the same and ask the same for coaches on game day. And how do you get that, right? You can't, you don't have all the time in the world if there's a delay of game or you're coming out of a timeout. What did you spend the timeout doing if you didn't have your play ready and your guys are out there and you're just calling the play when they get back on the field? right? That can't happen. He's too smart of a coach uh, to allow these things to happen. And, you know, coaches got to coach their coaches. Um, I know, you know, again, I talk about the autonomy that head coaches give, right? But the buck stops with him. So whatever he needs to do to make sure on game day that their execution in those coaching situations are better. Now, I, you know, Everybody kills young coaches for clock management. Mike McCarthy had a situation where he just, just, just last week, you know, wrote it off as it was a zero, zero something situation, meaning he wasn't going to, he already resigned himself to they're going to kick the field goal. Um,
2: no, he they, had the, he had the one earlier this year against the, what was it, against the Chargers? Yeah. Where he like, mishandled the clock management at the end of the game. And they won. I mean, Dallas won the game, but they needed like a 54 yard field goal when they like, so I, I, Carl, I'm with you with this. I know fans probably don't want to hear this. I'll take some of these growing pains as long as like we see that stuff getting better. That happens. I mean, Parcells won three games his first year. It You know, sometimes it takes time, as you said, to get it all together and have all the right people around you
4: yeah and again like bob says we've been around coaches when we have these football conversations and we get five minutes five minutes into it and we know that coach is full of shit right and he just talks and coach speak and couldn't tell you one thing or the other he'll just keep going back to something that he knows some something regurgitated so if it's a A West Coast offense, and he talks about the principles of the West Coast offense, not what a player's leverage should have been or what the leverage is. And this is why the play worked. Like Joe Judge will break down 11 men on a play and tell you this guy's leverage was wrong, but we got away with this. We have to have this. That's not what a lot. That's why, again, now it's up to him. I can't I I can't want it for him more than he wants it for himself. But I know in terms of his competence in in, in understanding the game and what should be done, he's he's the right guy. But it's game day execution. That's how it's a results-oriented business. Uh, Coaches are judged on that. So he owes it to himself to make sure um, those things get fixed. And here's the other thing that why I believe he's the right coach When he makes the right adjustments, the players are playing hard for him. And I don't, people don't understand when he tells you his players are playing hard. You don't understand for a bunch of grown men making a check, whether they win or lose in a four win season, (laughs) how hard it is to get every player on the field to play hard. Now, if you can get that in the losing season, Give them something to really play for and you'll see guys exceed expectations because this is – I've been on a losing team before in Washington. Guys could give a You're shit. You were, right? you, I thought I thought you really weren't on that team. Well, <laughs> yeah. again, that, that nightmare. did you just go from the Giants to Cleveland? Yeah. <laughs> that that in, one in, dark in, year. In my career arc, yeah, because that was a dark <laughs> year. I, I had never been around players who didn't give a shit about football, right? But they just did it. like guys would show up and do whatever and didn't care that the team was losing. This team cares about football uh, and they play hard. So they they're not necessarily playing smart, but you don't see a guy that's the, that has already uh, packed up his car and they're getting ready. the car's running in the parking lot so they can get home. You know, these guys, they want to put in a, a, a full day's work and they work hard at it. So there are things that this coach has to do better. Uh, part of it is that autopsy on his staff, uh, looking at where he needs development, looking at where he w- needs an injection of of uh, 2022 NFL football. Uh, those are all things that that. Um, that I see, you know, going forward, regardless of the personnel. And again, if you're stuck with crappy players, which the Giants are not uh, in an exclusive club there. There are a lot of teams with crack, crappy players that figure it out. They figure out how to get it done. Like, you know, Washington started the year with a great, one of the best offensive lines. Now they're what, on a the third center.
3: Yeah. Um, the Packers started four backup offensive linemen last week and they were able to move the football.
4: Correct. Right. Now they have Aaron Rodgers there, yeah. but they have but they they, even with Aaron Rodgers, things around him have to be crisp. Right. You, you all of a sudden you say this is your responsibility. Don't F it up because this is what has to happen. I know you're not going to hold up very long, but Aaron doesn't need you to. But you need to be this on the snap right? And they do it, right? It's, it's, that's what this team needs. Now, Joe talks about it. They practice it. Game day execution, the fire that uh, has to happen with this coaches. And I'm not talking about rah-rah guys, but the uncompromising uh, attention to detail, like, and, and Joe's been around Nick Saban, and I, I've been coached by Nick Saban since I was in college, right? First time I ever got screened at, uh, and, like I had never, and I had a tough high school coach. My first practice with Nick Saban in college was something different, right? Uh, because they're uncompromising when it comes to the principles of sound fundamental football, and they hold everybody accountable. I think that's why Joe was such a good special teams coach. I think that's why Joe understands every position, what every guy should do. And he can tell you at the drop of a hat, if you woke him up in the middle of the night and said, Joe, what was the left tackle doing on the third down play in the fourth quarter, Mark 14? He'll tell you. and He'll tell you everything about that play. But he's got to now examine. All right. Go ahead, Carl. Why his players aren't developing in some areas of some positions on this football team all
2: right so um we're joined uh by nick and dan big blue banter podcast all right so guys um just kind of in wrapping up here with you nick i'll start with you and then uh dan you can finish it off the giants are playing the eagles this week this week and then spinning forward over the last two games against chicago and washington what are some of the things that you're most sort of excited to see not necessarily because you know that it's going to be good could turn out to be bad but that you're excited to give your passion to watch this and really keep a critical eye on
1: first off Philadelphia is in the playoff race right now so spoiling that would be pretty awesome the New York Giants just defeated them back in what was that week 12 I believe and the way they did it was forcing Jalen Hurts to throw the football and trying to stop the run and they didn't really do necessarily a great job at stopping the run because Philadelphia still rushed for over 200 yards in that game but the Giants defense was incredibly opportunistic and Philadelphia's offense kind of let a couple balls slip through their hands to so the Giants favor they end up getting that victory the last victory that they got but in terms of of what I'm interested in. It is still Quincy Roche. It is now Jalen Smith and Jerron Williams if they can get on the field to see if those guys can be building blocks moving forward or at least or at least competent depth going forward. And I'm also on the offensive side looking at Billy Price, who I feel Dan said this earlier, has had two pretty solid games. He strung that together he struggled a lot a little bit in this season. Maybe since he is a free agent, he could be brought back as a depth piece On this offensive line so i'm excited to see the development of those players to see if they still play really hard as carl was saying i'm. Expecting that they are, I mean you have leaders on this team like leonard williams who have a tricep injury, he can easily mail it in this is a four win team. But he's going out there and he's playing and that says something about the current state of the new york giants, despite the fact that it's not great football right now so i'm really looking at. The development of all of these young players and hopefully we can see building blocks on this team moving forward. with some of the guys we didn't expect at the beginning of the season.
2: Yeah. Cause remember when the giants, uh, when the giants played Washington, when Nick Gates got hurt, Gates didn't get hurt playing center, right? He got hurt right. playing guard. So there leads you to believe that there's something there with Billy price that is to be excited about. And you hope that Gates can uh, rewrite the rich Soibert script and come back yeah. from this horrific injury. Yeah. Uh, both undrafted free agents, both tough as nails. So, yeah. So those are some good things for our fans to watch. What about for you, Dan? Yeah, I'm looking for a few things. I'm going to start on the offensive side
3: of the ball, and I'm going to say if Kadarius Tony can get back on the field, I want to see the Giants utilize their playmakers: Kadarius Tony, Saquon Barkley, and Candy Galladay in ways that can give us excitement for next year. So what does that mean? Well, plays like we saw last week or two weeks ago, I should say, not last week. They didn't score a touchdown last week, mm-hmm. but with Saquon Barkley in the red zone, that little stop and go touchdown. And we saw that earlier this season, a similar route where he broke on the out earlier in the game against the Saints, showed it, came back to it, and he went and he ran the go and Daniel Jones hit him for a touchdown. Same thing with Kenny Galladay. What do I want to see? More balls like we saw in that two minute drill. Throw it up there, give him a chance and make a play. Now, I would have liked that pass to be thrown outside his frame, back shoulder, and it was a little inside, but you know what? That was a good example of how special Kenny Galladay can be on those 50-50 balls. If you give him a chance, throw it inside, it doesn't matter. He'll make an adjustment. And same thing with Gary Tony when he gets back. And we've seen me and Nick on film, a lot of principles from from Freddie Kitchens that we liked, especially in his first game calling plays. We saw a lot more bunch to get free releases for the receivers. We saw a lot more third down calls that had routes breaking out instead of just back toward the sticks. Those are some of the things we want to see from a play calling standpoint. As far as, far as the offensive line goes, I'm with Nick. Just give me one. Just give me one extra starter out of this between Bredesen, if you can get back on the field, Price, and Parrott. Because if they go into this offseason needing only three starters versus four, it's going to make a world of a difference because it's hard to find even one quality offensive lineman in an offseason. On the other side of the ball, what I'm interested in seeing is the continued development of those edges. And more importantly, what what Carl was talking about earlier, what me and Nick see too much of on film is the second level inside linebackers, these on ball linebackers making mistakes. It was really prevalent two weeks ago against the Chargers. And any team that uh, runs like wide zone or stretch on the Giants, the Giants cannot defend that at all. So what I want to see, I'm going to keep a, a big eye on is Jalen Smith. I know it's a crazy story, right? The Cowboys cut him after the big extension. He went through another team, and now he's on the Giants. Like no one has expectations for these players, but that's not how the NFL works. If they can prove themselves within a the system, well, maybe they can fit. And what, what Nick pointed out on the podcast this week, which was great, is Patrick Graham, even in his first game with Jalen Smith, right? This guy has just picked up. He barely knows the playbook. He had him in different spots. He lined him up the edge on one play. So maybe he has a plan. Maybe he has something in mind for Jalen Smith. And the Giants desperately need another uh, inside backer to go with uh, Blake Martinez next year, especially if it takes Martinez a little bit of time. So I'm really focused on the inside backers the rest of the season. And right, also, so, Jake ahead, Fromm.
1: Man. I'm sorry, Bob. Also, Jake Fromm. If we're not expecting Jake Fromm to come in and be a starter or anything like that, but if they can develop himself well enough to to be a backup for Daniel Jones or whoever is the quarterback next year, it's a totally different conversation. Then I think that's something that we can definitely look into. It would be a positive because this guy was on the Bills practice squad just a few weeks ago. It's a tough yeah. spot, though.
2: Yeah, and you know you got to temper your thoughts with Fromm and the fact that he came in running a two minute. It's a little bit easier than having to run a whole game. So, where can fans find your podcast? And um, also give your Twitter handle so uh, fans can uh, our fans can follow your fans and tell a friend like your fans are going to tell a friend with us. Yeah, exactly. We're really excited. This is going to go on our podcast feed as well. You can find our.
3: Podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all those. It's Big Blue Banter. You can find us on YouTube site. Uh, search Big Blue Banter on Instagram NY Big Blue Banter. And then you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL.
1: And I'm on Twitter just at Nick Falato. That's F-A-L-A-T-O. Bob, Carl, thank you so much for having us.
4: So before we go, Bob, um, Dan knows I like to play in the analytics playground every once in a while. So I got one for him to chew on. Okay. Um, how, how did analytics factor into Peyton Manning as he ran his no huddle offense? He didn't have to decide, no one decided for him whether or not to go for two, uh, to go for it on fourth down because he controlled the whole offense. And I'm not, again, you know, I love analytics. I don't discount it, but when people put so, so much emphasis on certain things and what the numbers say, does it mean that Peyton Manning was smarter than today's quarterbacks? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To a large degree. But you can answer this one on Twitter. How did analytics factor in to Peyton Manning's in-game decisions? And does that give you a different view on the competence of a quarterback's ability to see the game and make decisions for himself in today's NFL? But other than that, tell a friend to tell a friend.
2: Thanks so much for having us on, Carl and Bob. Hey guys, great to have you on and uh, great holiday to you and your family and looking you forward too. to uh, checking your guys' workout down the stretch with some
5: good Big Blue Talk.
4: And keep up the great work, guys. I'm a big fan.
5: Thank you. Thank you. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos.